Adventures in Acts. We study, we're studying Acts, and there's so much energy in Acts. There's so much doing in Acts. There's so much courage and excitement for the church that when you study this, it just, it, it, it just burns off on you. It rubs off on you. I get excited every week as I go through and I learn new things about Acts. But we're asking ourselves, can a group of less than 120 Set the world on fire again. Can we change the world like we see them changing in Acts? In just in less than a hundred years, in about fifty-five years, they had they had preached the gospel to the known world. They they had spread the gospel and the church and the kingdom of God into millions with just a little group, Lenora, that started out around 120 people. Can we do it again? Last week we talked about transparency, right? Remember that sermon? It was, I know that you've slept seven times. Well, some of us have since then. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? From that story we learned that God sees and knows the hearts of men that God can't be manipulated because, Jack, God doesn't need anything for us. So he, that allows him to completely love us because he is a sovereign God. He can't be manipulated. He doesn't need anything from us, and that allows him to love me wholeheartedly. Hypocrisy kills growth. It was such a big deal that I believe Ananias and Sapphira lost their life over the deal because that would have really hurt. If that would have continued in the church, that would have really hurt the growth of the church. And, of course, we learn from their story, God hates lies. So we're still in chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, this is the time to take it out. Chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Thank you. You're nine-tenths of the way through the Bible as far as the pages go. We're still in the first seven chapters. So what city are we in? Jerusalem. Transparency, courage, servanthood. Servanthood will be next week. So we're in Jerusalem. Okay? I'm running out of geography things to talk about in Jerusalem. We've got seven chapters to get through here, and we're still in Jerusalem. So let me ask you this question. Those of you who have the outline know the question. Who thinks that it could snow in Jerusalem? Because when I think about Jerusalem, I think about hot and dry, boiling hot and dry. But come to find out, every once in a while, it snows in Jerusalem. Here's a picture right after a snow in Jerusalem. Its record high is 111 degrees, so it doesn't get as hot as sometimes it gets here in northwest Arkansas. Its record low is only 20 degrees. I wish that was our record low, right? So to give you an idea how mild their summers are, the average high in August is only 85 
their average lows at night are 67. Now, here's a big difference. We get about 45 inches of rain. At least Bill hopes we get about 45 inches of rain, and he spends some time praying for you all so you'll get that 45 inches of rain. They only get about 21 inches of rain in Jerusalem. So I poured over cities and some data, and the, thing, the only place in America that even comes close to this is, is Los Angeles, but they only get about 17 inches of rain, so it's a little bit different, but it's mild. The temperature in Jerusalem is, is a pretty mild, nice place to live. Humidity many times is either low or around 50% humidity. It's a nice place to live. How about some history? Each week we're going to give you a little geography, a little bit of history. So this week I studied a little bit about this guy Gamaliel. His correct way to say it is Gamaliel. Now I grew up in the south so it's Gamaliel. But I'll try to say it right and if I don't forgive me. Gamaliel. Gamaliel was well respected by all. And when I say that the New Testament says that he was a respected man, but rabbinical writings from that time also say that Gamaliel was a great guy, that, that after he died, there was no one else like him. There was no one else who, who was as good a, a, a theologian and who was as kind and, and who actually practiced the law like Gamaliel did. He was a, an authority in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is made up of 70 to 72 men depending on the setting and they are the authority on Jewish law. Now he's a Pharisee. A Pharisee is an expert in the law. Now when we think of being an expert in the law we don't think theologian do we? I say lawyer you don't think theologian do you? Some of you seem to be disconnected this morning. When I say lawyer, you don't think theologian, do you? Very good. Got to pump that energy up in here. But in their day, they were one and the same. A Pharisee is somebody who studied the law, studied the scripture, and knew it forward and backward. Now, how they interpreted that scripture was another thing but from the interpretation there became what they called two houses of belief two philosophies of belief as a Pharisee one was Shammai now Shammai were the hardliners they were the legalistic Pharisees they were the Pharisees who believed that violence was justified to make people follow the law they were the kind of Pharisees that believed in the outside in we're going to force you to be the kind of Jewish person that you ought to be. They were kind of, well, they just, they were mean-spirited, okay? Point blank. There is, there is some writings that indicate that, there, that the other philosophy, which is Hillel, which we'll study in just a moment, that they brought them, the leading Hillel figures, 
of the day. They brought them into a house. They put the guards around the house. And then they started trying to convince them to follow them and not the Hillel way philosophy. And guess what? If you didn't take it on, Rick, you didn't leave alive. And they killed several of the Hillel leaders. That's kind of mean-spirited people we're talking about. These are, the, these are the Pharisees that Jesus spent so much time getting on to and condemning for their shallowness, for their mean-spiritedness, for, for forgetting about mercy and faithfulness and justice. These are the people that Christ attacks. And then there is Hillel. Now, Hillel believed that God wanted Israel to follow the law with all their heart. Okay, Hillel believed that it's an inside-out religion. That you can't force me to have the right heart condition, Rick. It's got to come from the inside. Now, they also believed that everybody could study the Scriptures. While the other camp believed, Shammai believed, that the only people that should be able to study the scriptures were students who were going to be Pharisees. Does that look like a fortress mentality? Sure it does. But Hillel, Hillel believed that it all came from the heart, that anyone could study the scriptures. Now, Gamaliel was from where, do you think? Hillel. Matter of fact, Gamaliel was either a, either a son or a grandson of Hillel, the man Hillel, that this philosophy grew from. He was either a son or a grandson, and some say maybe even a great-grandson. We're not sure. But he was a direct descendant from him. And, and you'll, see, you'll see that come out today in our story as we read about it, about this idea of of not being violent and an inside-out mentality towards religion. Guess who's one of the? Guess who's one of his students? Gamaliel's student, Saul. But Saul's broken away from. We'll see later. Saul has broken away from the Hillel philosophy, and he's taken on the Shammai. Cultivating courage. So let's let our fingers run down in Acts 5, down to verse 17. We'll start reading there. By the way, if you ever come in here and you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles on that back table that you are welcome to have forever. They're free. Pick one up, make it your own, and feel free to do that at any time. Courage. That quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with boldness, without fear or depression. Mm. As I was reading this biblical King James uh, from the Greek definition, I was struck by depression. This courage that we're talking about here. It defends against depression, too. Some of you don't know it. I have to deal with depression. This kind of courage helps me deal with depression. That's the kind of courage 
that we see here in chapter 5. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Okay? So the high priest right now are from the Sadducees. They're filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. All 12 of them go off to jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the courts, the angel says, and tell the people all about this new life. It's interesting. Preston? They don't know what to call it yet. Even the angels haven't defined it yet. Later on, we'll get the name of Christianity, of Christians, applied to us. But at this point, it's so new that they're not sure what to call it. So the angel calls it this new life. I love that. It's a new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told. And began to teach the people. So do you see what's happening? They've been arrested. Thrown in jail. Angel comes in the middle of the night. Get out of this jail. Go back to what you were doing. Get back in the temple. Start spreading the news. And that's exactly what they do. The high priest and his associates arrive. And they call together the Sanhedrin. The full assembly of elders of Israel. And sent to the jail for the apostles. So they arrogantly, unknowingly, we're going to get these 12. They call all the Sanhedrin together. We're going to put a stop to this. We killed their leader, and now we're going to kill all these 12 disciples, these apostles, and we're going to put a stop to this. Now, go to the jail and get them. But on arriving at the jail, the officers didn't find them there. So they went back and reported We found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the door. But when we opened it, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss. You think? Wondering what this might lead to. Oh my goodness, they've they've already said they've already said that that this Savior has risen from the dead. Now these 12 have miraculously escaped. What's this going to lead to? Someone came in and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts and teaching the people. They're right back where they ought to be. Teaching the people, staying focused. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Boy, there's nothing like being told, go get some guys. And everybody in the temple courts love these guys. They may not understand Christianity yet. They may not get it yet. But they love what they see happening. People are being healed. People are being forgiven. People are taking on a new life. And they love what they see. And this guard comes in and he you just see him walking up to Peter and going, oh, Peter, could you, you need to come with, if you don't mind, could you arrest yourself and go out with us? And the apostles do. But look, look at the bulliness of these people. They get them outside this, this, this temple area where all the people are. 
then they changed back to their bully ways. And the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. It's like as soon as they get away from the people, they're like bullies. As soon as the teacher turns her back, man, I'm going to grab you and you're coming to the office. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. They didn't even want to say Jesus' name. They were scared, I believe. They were scared. They didn't, even want to, they didn't even want to bring this guy's name up again. We killed him. We don't want to talk about him. It's all in the past. But would you quit talking about him? Would you, 12, quit talking about this? Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And you got to think the 12 are thinking, yeah, because you are. Because you sent him to die on a cross because you called for his blood, you think you're guilty? Yeah, you're guilty. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey. you got to love Peter. Boy, he's sassy. We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Let's don't, let's don't beat around the bush, Peter. Let's just get it out there. You hung him on a cross. God exalted him to his high right hand as prince and savior that might bring Israel to repentance and forgive him of his sin. Sounds like kingdom talk, doesn't it? We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You talk about set them off. What Peter just said was, no longer do you find the presence of God in the temple. No longer do we need the temple. No longer do you have any power over anything because now God dwells in us. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people stood up in the sanhedrin and ordered that men be put out that the men be put outside for a little while we need to call need to call a huddle put them outside let's talk privately then he addressed the sanhedrin men of israel consider carefully what you're about what you intend to do with these men some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas of Gal the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in a revolt. He, too, was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Gamaliel is saying, hey, we've got one martyr on our hands. We don't need 12, do we? Because you remember what happened? Now, Thutis, we don't know a lot about in history. But Judas the Galilean, we know a lot about. Josephus go, and other historians go into 
a lot of detail. Somewhere around 6 AD, they called for a census in Judea so they could tax the people more. And this made them mad. Imagine that, a tax, making the people mad. So they went on a revolt, but it was an ugly revolt. It it was violent. And to be quite honest, they were terrorists. And they squashed, they killed this man. The Roman army came in and killed this Judas. But guess what? The guys were just dispersed. Guess what they started calling them? Zealots. Did you know that's where the zealots came from? The zealots came from putting down Judas the Galilean. They killed him, made him a martyr, and and all these men dispersed out. All these terrorists dispersed out, and now we call them zealots. And guess what? One of these zealots make it into the twelve. And his name is Simon, not Simon Peter, Simon the zealot. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if the purpose or activity is human origin, it will fail. Hey, if it's of human origin, the Romans will take care of it for us. Okay? It'll go away on its own. But if it's from God... You will not be able to stop these men, and you will only find yourself fighting against God. Interesting, isn't it? How did Luke know what these men said in closed chambers? Now, I could tell you the Holy Spirit just led Luke to have the knowledge of what was said in these closed chambers. But what I think happened was some of these very men in the Sanhedrin court, and I would argue is probably Gamaliel himself, is now a believer in Christ. And Luke interviewed them and got this information. It became known to Luke probably firsthand by some of these Sanhedrin what's going on or what went on behind closed doors in his speech persuaded them so he persuades them they call the apostles in and they flog them i don't get this rick if he'd done his job on persuading them why did they flog them maybe because they were mean spirited okay maybe they were just mean people Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. That didn't work very well. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering the disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from the house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now I think they taught them all things. But don't miss the main thing is the main thing. The good news is Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You want to spread the kingdom of God? Stay focused. Stay on message. Jesus Christ died for everyone, forgave their sins, and allowed us a way to live forever. 
That's the gospel. Sometimes we get confused with hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized as the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's the way to reach salvation and the steps that you take. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for you and I so we could live forever with him. That's the gospel. Amen? So how do I stay courageous and bold what do i learn from from these scriptures in luke excuse me in acts 5 what does luke want me to draw out well how do i stay courageous and bold first i remember who i serve i do not serve men i serve god We must obey God rather than human beings. Verse 29. Does anybody know who this guy is? Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Very good. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a minister, was a preacher in Germany during World War II. When Nazis first started and they started taking over the church and proclaiming their bigotry, their hostility towards the Jews and towards anybody of, of, of what they call the brown races. When they started this, when they started this ugliness, Bonhoeffer and others revolted against it. And they wouldn't have anything to do with it. And that was dangerous. They put together a, a, a little brochure, a little pamphlet, a little booklet and they distributed it all over Germany. And guess what the name of this little booklet was? We must obey God rather than men. It got Bonhoeffer put in a concentration camp, and he died there. Can we be bold because we obey God rather than men? In the same time while this was going on, this photograph was taken. Do you see all these people saluting Hitler? But look at this one guy, the circles around. He's got his arms folded. He won't go along with everybody else because he's trying to serve God and he won't serve the Nazi way. He ended up dying for his beliefs, and so did his wife. Number two, if I'm going to be bold and courageous, I've got to expect trouble. It's right around the corner. Christ said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Christ says, you're going to be fabulously happy because you're persecuted. So you might as well expect it. William Barclay says... Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. 
Have you been in trouble lately? Have you been so bold and so courageous for Christ that, that you've been in trouble? G.K. Chesterton, who was quite a character, whose principles were constantly getting him into trouble, said, I like getting into hot water. It keeps you clean. But isn't that the truth? You see, if we're really going to follow the principles of Christ, sometimes it's going to get us into hot water. But that's okay, because when I'm in hot water, because I'm following Christ, it makes me look at my theology and my doctrine, and it makes sure that I'm really following Christ and really doing what I'm supposed to be doing, Rick, and that in itself keeps me clean. Long-distance runners, marathon runners, are crazy. But besides that, marathon runners, they, they did a study on them, and they wanted to find out how is it that they can run for so long. And people like me said, oh, they get used to it. They don't feel the pain that I feel on the weekends when I run trying to play football with my son. Or running to the refrigerator, which I could pull something. But what they found out was that long-distance marathon runners feel the same pain that I do when I'm a weekend warrior and think I'm going to go run. The difference is they learn how to deal with it. They learn how to deal with it and run through it and get through it. Because they deal with it all the time. You see, the pain sometimes keeps you clean. So expect trouble in your life. And I might add, the more you work for Christ, the more Satan will work against you. And if you don't feel any pressure from Satan in your life, my guess is you're not being bold or courageous enough. Number three, develop a community of courage. You want to be bold? You want to be courageous? Then you need to develop a community of courage around you. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. House to house, always together, they're proclaiming Jesus. You know how many times Paul went out by himself? You know how many times Jesus sent his disciples out by themselves? Best I can tell, goose egg. They always went with people, right? They always had some kind of community of courage around them. Folks, we should develop our community of courage by participating in Sunday morning Bible class. You want to grow together in the Lord? Study the Bible together. How about come to worship assemblies? Praise God together. Come to fellowship meals. We have one every Wednesday night where we get together and we work on developing a community of courage. 
be involved with community outreach. Actually put on your gloves and put on your boots and get involved in something good with other Christians trying to accomplish something for the Lord. Build up your community. Participate in home small group Bible study. And we've been doing this for about three months. And every time I walk away from this in-home Sunday night small group Bible study, I walk away with new knowledge about people. There's things about the Wootens I never knew before. There's things about Don I, I didn't understand at all until I befriended him, until we started studying together. And they encourage me and I encourage them and it allows me to be a little bolder in my life for Christ. Folks, we're a lot like hot coals. You put us together and we can melt down steel. We're an awesome force together, Tina. But you take Keith by himself like a hot coal and you set me off to the side alone by myself without the Clarks pumping me up every week, without Rick shaking my hand, without you sharing with me how the gospel's changing your life. You just set me off there by myself very long. And I'll grow cold and black and non-effective. Folks, we need each other. I'm always shocked in acts by how together they were. Folks, if people tell you, I just want to follow Christ. I just want to be like Christ. I don't, really need, I don't need to get into this whole organizational church thing. I just want to be like Christ, then you'd let them know Christ went to church. Christ was plugged into a community of saints, and he was all the time. Number four, stay focused. Stay focused. Stay on track. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Man, Christianity wasn't but about two months old, and suddenly they have filled Jerusalem. Never, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They stayed focused. Seek the kingdom of heaven, and everything else, David, will work itself out. If you're seeking the kingdom of heaven, God knows that you need clothing. He knows that you need food. He knows that you need shelter. And he'll take care of all that if you'll just seek the kingdom first. They stayed focused. The main thing was the main thing in their lives. Renee Schlepford, a preacher in California says that the biggest danger to faith is not temptation. In the U.S., the biggest danger to faith is not temptation. It's not persecution 
or intimidation. The biggest danger to faith in the United States is distraction. We love to be distracted. And usually what distracts us is our own fears. It wasn't but just a couple of months ago, and the media was playing us against each other like we were a tennis ball. Oh, can you imagine if she becomes president? Can you imagine what's going to happen if he becomes president? Oh, the sky's falling. And you know what we did? We just soaked it up and went, ah! Maybe you didn't feel that in the church, but if you got on Facebook, you felt it. We live to be scared of stuff. Discovery has Shark Week. David, did you know that you're twice as likely to die from a coconut falling from a tree than you are by shark bite? Twice as many people die every year from coconuts falling from trees and killing them than they do from shark bites. Why doesn't Discovery Channel run a special called Coconut Death and devote a whole week to it? I can tell you why. Because there's no real fear and anxiety in it. We can walk around a coconut tree, but man, when you step in that water... There might be a shark in there. I took one of my nieces all the way to Florida. She'd never been to the ocean before. And for a day, almost for like six hours, she stood and went, that's beautiful. Yes, Uncle Keith, I see it. Don't believe I'll get in. She's scared of a shark. Anxiety kept her from living life. Folks, we are a culture who is completely distracted by Fear. Stay focused. Keep Christ number one. Keep your eyes on him. Keep the kingdom first. Seek it first. One more thought, and then the sermon is yours. Worthy of suffering disgrace. You'll find it at the end of our story here. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer what? Disgrace. I'm telling you, I get flogged and I run home to Anna, I'm probably not rejoicing. I'm like, do you see what they... So let me read into you what's happening here. The Greek word for flawed, or flogged, the Greek word for flogged here means to fillet, to remove the skin from. They took these apostles and they wrapped them over a large stump or log Then they took a whip, and at the end of each braid of this whip, there was a piece of glass, bone, or metal. And when they drew it out and hit you and pulled back at the right moment, it filleted your skin. 
these men were permanently scarred, disfigured from this event. They were disgraced in the fact that that would live with them forever. If anybody ever saw their bare backs from then on, people would point a finger and go, oh, that's the, they've been whipped. They must be a criminal. They must be a rebel. They must be a terrorist. Look at their back. Honey, stay away from them. I see scars from the whip on their back. Can I ask you this morning, do you have any physical scars from following Christ, from being bold and courageous? Maybe you don't. Is your bank account scarred from being bold and courageous? Is your life savings scarred from being bold and courageous for Christ? How about your career? Is your career, did your career get permanently scarred from being bold in Christ because you were so busy seeking the kingdom that you didn't get all, all the raises and you didn't get all the, the accolades and you didn't get the title that you really could have gotten because you weren't into that. What you were really into was kingdom work and so now you've got some career scars. Or maybe, maybe your social status. Maybe you could have raised up in popularity and been a lot more popular with the in crowd, with the world, but you're not because you've got some scars for Christ in your social setting. Can I, can I just throw this out there for you? Are you being as bold as what you should be if you don't have some scars, permanent scars in your life from following Christ? Can it happen again? Can we be so transparent that people are drawn to us because they like our honesty, because we're not hypocrites? Can we do it again because we are so bold and courageous that people are drawn to Christianity because they see the Savior in us because we are, church, Jesus to the people who don't know him yet? Can we do it again? I think we can. If you need to come this morning to confess a sin, to put on Christ, to rededicate your life, to say, Keith, I haven't got any scars, but I'm going to have. Won't you come as we stand and we sing?